And uh, we are continuing on our sermon series looking at the four songs in the Gospel of Luke to teach us about the Christmas spirit that our Lord would want us to have in ourselves. This is the Word of God. It is inerrant. It is completely inspired. And it is quite useful for all of us to learn from and to hear. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through verse 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, Well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge to salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this text and how it's very useful to us. Help us to learn the lessons provided from it. We invite You, Holy Spirit, to illumine our hearts and our minds, to chisel off our vain thoughts, our unbelief, and our doubt. And Lord, that You would produce in us hearts of faithful worship that trust in our triune God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, anytime we look at a song, it teaches us something. This morning already we sung uh, three, three hymns, I believe. Maybe, maybe it was four. Lost count. But each one of those hymns teaches us something. We're retelling a story, something about what God is doing. And so when we look at these songs, these hymns, or if you want to call them psalms that are in the book of Luke, They're each to teach us something, what God would want us to know. And today is no different. Uh, Last week, 
if you were here with us, we looked at the first of those songs, and it was Mary's Magnificat. Magnificat being the Latin word for my soul magnifies the Lord. And as we looked at that time, we saw that one who possessed a Christmas spirit, one who rejoiced in the birth of Jesus Christ, was five things, Mary told us. One who recognized God's blessings in their life. One who saw their chief priority was to bring uh, glory to God. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She was also one who took no glory in themselves. Mary spoke to her of herself as the humble bond slave of her servant and how he had taken down the proud and the mighty and given blessings to the poor and needy. One who also had the Christmas spirit was one who remembered God's abundant faithfulness to His Word and to His promises. Mary recounted those again to us, that He had been faithful to the covenant that He had given to Abraham. And lastly, Mary was one who believed in God's Word. She heard the message of the angel. And she did not go to Zechariah's house to see Elizabeth because she doubted. She believed and she continued to believe as she arrived. And Elizabeth confirmed this, saying, Blessed are you because you have believed the message of the Lord. Well, today we're going to see a little bit different story in Zechariah and his song, what's called the Benedictus. And if you know Zechariah's story, there are some great lessons to be learned for even the most seasoned saint. So before we jump right into his song, we need to sort of capture his life, his history. Many of you all know Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were very godly people. They both came from a priestly lineage, what we read in the Gospel of Luke. And they were groomed for the priesthood. They were groomed to do ministry. That was their life. That was their calling. And the Word of God gives them an extremely high compliment. Listen to what the Spirit of God says about these two people. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that is an extremely high testimony from God about the character of these two people. Very rare is it given that someone is given this high of testimony about their character and their being. Few in the history of man have given this testimony. We might think of Noah, who was a man of righteousness. Very few are given this testimony. And what we know about these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, is they both knew the Word of God. They knew God's Scriptures. They loved God, and we're told they kept His commandments diligently. They pursued them faithfully. As I said before, they were bred and groomed to be a priestly family, and they fulfilled all that the Lord had commanded them. However, there was one huge challenge in their life they had not overcome, and yet they continued to deal with. You see, in this beautiful marriage, they were barren. They had no child, no heir. And back in those days... Barrenness was an extremely significant thing. It meant no line. In our day and age, we have life insurance, but in that time, your life insurance was your children. 
Because as you grew older, it was your children who had the prime responsibility of taking care of their parents as they grew in age. I can't help but smile as I see some parents looking at their kids (laughs) around here, reminding them of their responsibility. But for uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they had no heir. They also had no one to pass down all that God had given to them. No one to give them their possessions or possibly their land. And for a woman, barrenness was a great shame. We don't have, they didn't have the knowledge that we have today that uh, uh, both male and female are quite responsible and coming together and it might be the male's fault and not the female's fault, but in those days it was often assumed to the woman. And the blame and the shame was put on her that she could not produce for the man, her husband, and heir. And so shame was accompanied by this challenge. What's comforting to know, and what's a great testimony to us about Zechariah and Elizabeth, is that they follow God, we're told, blamelessly. They follow God with a pure heart. They didn't follow God in the sense to get. In other words, I'm just going to do this so I can get X. Um, Sometimes we see this in children. We tell them something they should do or not do, and they choose to not do it so they can get the blessing. Now, that's not all an all bad motive, but the greater motive is to do X or whatever it might be out of the relationship not just in order to get. And we see in Zechariah and Elizabeth, they chose to honor God not to get, but to honor Him for who He was. They continued to serve Him. Well, one day, Zechariah had a responsibility. He was chosen by Lot to burn incense before the Lord. And this detail is given to us so that we might not uh, think that He planned this. It was a sovereign act of God. He was chosen by Lot. And when he went into the Holy of Holies, uh, this for Zechariah was pretty much the pinnacle of his career. It wasn't something that happened often. There was a number of priests who did this responsibility, but he was chosen by Lot, and they would go into the Holy of Holies to burn incense. And, And what would happen is while they were all in there, then all would leave except that one priest. And that one priest would burn the incense. It was during this time, as he went in, the culmination of his career, he goes in to have this great honor done, to honor God and to burn incense before the Lord, that an angel of the Lord appears to him. And we know the story that the angel goes on and tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. You and your wife are going to have a son that will bring back many to the people of Israel, back to the Lord their God. And he will do this, Zechariah is told, in the power of Elijah, as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now in that testimony, there was some great reassurances given. There was some great highlights. I mean, any dad would think about having a boy and then being told what great things their son would do Uh, Surely that was exciting. But for Zechariah, perhaps it was uh, a bit daunting. 
He said these words, How can this be? I am a man, an old man and my wife as well along in years. Well, what followed was a quite an interesting thing as Gabriel spoke to him. You know, first what Gabriel does when he says this is he tells him his position and his rank. It's almost like a, an officer or an enlisted person talking about who he comes from, who he is representing to give testimony of the words he just gave. He says, I am one who serves before the presence of the Lord. I am Gabriel. And then after that, he pronounces a judgment on Zechariah because he did not believe Gabriel's testimony. And that judgment was that Zechariah would be mute. In fact, as we read on later, it wasn't just muteness. There was a sense of deafness. He couldn't hear as well either because it had to be written on tablets for him to understand uh, the question later, what would the boy's name be made? Or what would his, the boy's name be? So undoubtedly, Zechariah could not only not speak, he couldn't also hear as well. He was both deaf and dumb. Well, when we see this, uh, we see Zechariah's question, we see his unbelief. And what's interesting in the Gospel of Luke is the very same statement that Zechariah gives, how can this be, is also uttered by Mary. Word for word, the exact same thing. How can this be? But there's a difference between the two. Zechariah's is not in faith, but in unbelief. But Mary's is in belief. You see, Zechariah did not trust that with God, all things are possible. Well, we need to hit the pause button here and look at Zechariah for a second. Because I believe Zechariah's response teaches us some great things. It teaches us that even a person who possesses great righteousness is a man who loves the Lord and has demonstrated throughout their years great faithfulness to the kingdom of God can also possess in their bosom great unbelief. There is no doubt that Zechariah knew the awesome works of God. Evidently, he had studied the Scriptures all his life. He was from a priestly family. He gets this high praise of God, of being one who honored God blamelessly. And he knew the ways of the Lord. He knew the awesome deliverances that God had done in his redemptive history. However, as time went along, and perhaps due to the unanswered prayer of not having a son, Zechariah's heart grew in unbelief. He doubted that God would act on behalf of his prayers for a boy. He may have continued to pray, but his hope, his faith that God would work, had been abandoned. I think it's a great lesson for each of us and a great warning to all of us that though we may progress in godliness and though we may grow in our walk with the Lord, there can still be time within each of our bosoms that there is an area greatly neglected in our life towards God. And Zechariah teaches us that his heart grew in unbelief. A couple of months ago, as before I spoke at a men's retreat um, at Catalina Foothills, I was reading a Christian's men's book. And it said this statement, and I couldn't help but highlight, underline, pause, and significantly reflect on it. The man who was writing the book made this statement. It is often a great warning that the greatest sins 
men of God often commit were committed in the second half of their season of life. This was not a young boy. This was not a young man. This was a seasoned man of God. He had walked with God for years, and yet he commits a great sin. How rare had it been in the history of God's redemption that an angel visited someone. And here an angel visits him and gives him this great promise that his boy will come in the power of Elijah. And yet he doesn't ask, how can this be? Help me to continue to believe. He asks, how can this be? This won't happen. How can this be? You've let me down before. How can this be? I cannot give my heart to trust in you. As we look at Zechariah's unbelief, we need to heed this great warning that no matter how righteous any of us may think we are or how well we know the Scriptures, we need to take heed so that you and I may be careful that we do not fall into the same error, into the same sin of unbelief. The good news about Zechariah is that is not the end of his story. You see, in his deafness and muteness, God fulfilled His Word. It didn't matter whether or not Zechariah believed or obeyed, God was still going to accomplish His purposes. We see from our text, Elizabeth became pregnant. She saw the hand of God at work and it took away her shame. And to add to the story, Mary came to her house and wanted to see this child that was growing in Elizabeth's belly. Immediately, Elizabeth bears testimony as well, moved by the Spirit of God. Who is this? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should even come into my house? What we don't know is Zechariah was probably there on the lazy boy listening to all of this. He heard this news. And as he heard these things, as he heard this testimony, a blessed is he, or blessed is her who has believed in what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You see, the enemy of our Lord probably used those words to provoke Zechariah's pride. However, what we see next in Zechariah is a different man. Over the next nine months or 270 days, Zechariah was silent. He had the privilege to inspect his heart, to say, what went wrong? How did I miss this? I've read these things before. God, help me to see what's going on. And it was during those nine months that Zechariah had time to understand how this sin had grown so much in his heart and in his mind and what damage it has done. I'm sure as the days went on in Elizabeth's pregnancy, he was tempted to think, perhaps this won't come to pass. She's too old or something will happen. But as those thoughts came to his mind, he took them to God and he mortified those unbelieving ways. He put that thinking to death. In many ways, an atheistic spirit had grown up in him. And God used that time to humble his servant, to break him of his pride, and restore in him a spirit of faith. In other words, he applied that same unbelief that he had to God, now, before, now to those tempting thoughts which sought his faith. This unbelief, I believe, that had grown in Zechariah was what David would call a presumptuous sin. Psalm 19, David said this, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from presumptuous sins that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. You see, all of us go through life and there's these things called presumptuous sins. 
There's sins in our soul that we don't even realize that we're doing. And I think for Zechariah, he may have had some warnings or maybe he saw some things or maybe somebody said something to him. But in his pride or maybe in his busyness or whatever it might be, he just walked over them. And he didn't take time to realize what he was getting himself into. You see, God had to do surgery on this presumptuous sin that had grown into a great cancer. He pulled out his scalpel and he had to remove this hideous cancer of unbelief because of his love for Zechariah. Dear beloved, it's important for us to reflect that God is more committed to your holiness and to your true knowledge of Him than our presumed happiness. Because He knows that for the truest joy to be within His child, all forms of malignant sin must be removed. It must be removed. It must be extrapolated. So dear beloved friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, what cancers are in your soul this morning? Are there some presumptuous sins that you have often glossed over? That if you're honest with yourself or as the Spirit of the Lord reveals to you that you sort of do time and time again? Maybe they're, quote, not that bad. Maybe they're not what the public would say, oh, that's a bad thing. Perhaps you have friends that excuse those things. Probably your soul excuses those things. I would encourage you, yea, I plead with you to ask God to do that deep work within your soul. Lord, help me to see my presumptuous sins. Help me to see what's going on in this soul. And oh Lord, help me to confess and forsake them. Help me to do the work of mortifying those sins. Because make no mistake, God loves you and I too much to allow that sin to reside. And He will come after us as a lover who pursues His beloved. And He will figure out and come in and grab that evil way and pull it out of us. It is just like my mom used to have to dig up dandelions in our yard in Kentucky. You can't just snap off the head. you got to get to the root. And He is going to do that in each of us. We must allow Him to do His work. And we must mortify these sinful behaviors. You see, what I believe what God wanted in Zechariah was a trust in his divine character. He didn't want in him just to say, yes, I believe that God, you're going to give me a son one day. Just to hope in what he wanted. What I believe what God wants in us, whatever our heart may long or whatever our heart may desire, is that we know and understand who the Lord is. That he is the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth. For Jeremiah tells us that God delights in those things. He delights in the man who knows and understands who he is. I don't think God just wanted Zechariah to say, you know, he's going to give me a boy all the days of his life. He didn't know that. That promise hadn't been given to him until this revelation. What he wanted in Zechariah was a trust in his character, a belief in who God was, that he would meet those needs and meet those desires even though some longings might not be fulfilled. So what does Zechariah's song teach us about the character of God that He wants in each and every one of us? Well, the first thing we should have if we are going to possess this Christmas spirit and to understand what God wants in us is that God loves a repentant sinner. He loves a repentant sinner. During the season of chastisement, Zechariah learned repentance. 
And if we are going to be worshipers God longs for, we must be repentant people. David said, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it to you. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O Lord, you will not despise. Throughout Scripture, we see that God loves the repentant prodigal. He loves each and every one of us when we say, that was wrong, that was wicked. Oh God, have mercy on me. Change me. Make me something I am not. Make me your child. That is what the Lord longs for because that gives God worship. And God saw the change in Zechariah's heart and it was confirmed when the families and friends came to Zechariah and said, what are you going to name this child? And Zechariah said, he's not going to be Zechariah Jr., He's going to be John. He's going to be the Lord is gracious. The Lord gives to me what I don't deserve. You see, John was the name the angel had given him to name his son. And his willingness to be faithful to God's naming showed and displayed that he got it. He finally came to the fullness of repentance. And it's at this point his chastisement ended. And notice what happens immediately. As soon as it ended, he began praising God. It's as one commentator noted, it seems as if God could hardly wait to remove the punishment and reward the obedience. So often we view God just the opposite, don't we? He's slapping us on the wrist. He's a stern dad. No, here's the dad who's saying, I know he's going to get it. I know he's going to get it. And when he gets it, he just releases all his blessings into Zechariah's heart. In fact, we're told that the Spirit of God moves in Zechariah so that what he's about ready to say is going to inform us all. We're told in Luke, it's a prophecy. I mean, not only does he get the privilege to be a priest, but now he's going to be known as a prophet as well. There's a testimony for you. There's a lineage. Well, this brings us to a second lesson that I believe Zechariah's song teaches us, that the forgiveness, repentant sinner cannot help but to bless God. You see, the very first use Zechariah made of his recovered speech, as I said, was to praise God. He had to let people know of God's grace. And notice what he says. He gives a benediction. He tells God these words, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now we may ask the question, why is he doing a benediction which should normally occur at the end, he does at the beginning. Well, there's a reason for that. You see, when he was supposed to come out of the holy place, there was people around and they were waiting for a benediction. They were waiting for God's blessing. The blessing never came. And all that time, those nine months, those 270 plus days, it had been churning in Zechariah. Just waiting to scream out. And then he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. In the Latin it reads, Benedictus, esto, dominus, dos Israelis. I hope that's right. You get the point. He could not wait. The benediction had to pour out. And as a priest, Zechariah had to bless his God for the great things he had done. And to do so, dear friends, would be sin. To be silent would be sinful. 
John Calvin defined a benediction as a pledge of that divine benevolence which is the source of our salvation. That is a benediction. And in the coming of John, the fulfillment of God's promised salvation was at hand. And that pledge had to be remembered and announced to all who had ears to listen. Now, I realize that most of us have not been called to formal ministry. But all of us who have been transformed by God's grace are, as Peter says, a kingdom of priests. It is all of our job, if you are a child of God, to give benedictions to give blessings to those around you, to announce God's goodness to them. Because we serve a God who abundantly blesses. And it is our nature, if we are going to be children of God, to abundantly bless those around us. Our lips should pour forth that speech. To say, God bless you. Merry Christmas. There should be something different about us than everybody else. Because our speech utters the praises of God. So what does this repentant sinner announce in his first blessing? Well, notice first what he does. The repentant sinner remembers God's faithfulness to his holy covenant. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told. And he tells the covenant community the time of God's redemption is at hand. He says these words that the horn of salvation has come. And the horn of salvation always symbolizes power. In fact, destructive power towards God's enemy. And so in that way, God's redemption is a horn of salvation. And this horn is not associated with Zechariah's tribe. Notice this. It's associated with that of David. And I believe here what Zechariah is thinking about is the destructive power Jesus would unleash on Satan's kingdom. He was going to destroy it. Not even the gates of hell could stand against the kingdom of God. We are the advancing army. The praise of God is the advancing army. And not even hell, not even the devil himself can stand against it. At this point, Zechariah informs us that this is all in reference to the prophecies God has spoken throughout redemptive history through the prophets of old. You remember Moses was the one who spoke one day that there would be a great prophet that would rise up. David spoke of one that from his loins would sit at God's right hand. Isaiah, as we sung about earlier, sang about or told us about Emmanuel, that God would be with us, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be wounded for our transgressions, and through his stripes we would be healed. Ezekiel spoke of the true shepherd, and Daniel spoke of the Son of Man who possessed an everlasting dominion. You see, when Zechariah says all the prophets of old spoke about these things, he's summing everything up. He's given us the cliff note version of what God was doing throughout redemptive history. And all of this was done, he tells us, to deal mercifully with our fathers, remembering God's holy covenant to Abraham in which all the nations would be blessed. This, Zechariah tells us, is where our faith, our trust, our hearts should be at. In one of the commentaries I read, they, they pointed out this hymn by Edward Moat. And you know this great hymn, it's called My Hope is Built. And in it, it, the stanza is said, His oath, His covenant, His blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. 
When Zechariah is speaking these things, he is talking about the fulfillment of redemptive history. It is a, it, the dawn is here, he's saying. Christ is coming. And notice what he tells us, what will be true. When the Christ child, Christ child comes, we are to serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness of all our days. That is what he purchased for us at Calvary. He redeemed us from those things so that you and I can enter now in the Holy of Holies. We go with his righteous robes. We go with his blood covering us. And now we can enter in. And now peace could be attained. I think a fourth thing Zechariah's song teaches us is that the repentant sinner believes God for the mission of his or her family. It was true that this child John was indeed a special calling. He was to prepare the way for the Lord. It was a unique calling, we're told. It was one where he was never to drink wine, and he was to live the life of a Nazarite, one consecrated to God. Even his name, John, meant Jehovah is gracious. But as we look at his life, we may ask the question, how was God gracious? Because John said some of the harshest words to people to convict them of his sin. Remember those words, you brood of vipers, or watch out for the approaching wrath, or the axe is laid at the root of the trees, or God is going to come with unquenchable fire, and I'm not even able to untie his sandals? We may ask, how was John gracious? Well, he was quite gracious in the sense that he provided a warning of, of what was about ready to come. And in that way, God was gracious. In many ways, I believe that is our message as God's children to this world. We are to announce God's graciousness and calling people to repentance. We are to proclaim the good news. We are to tell first about Christ and that one day God will judge all of man's sins and he will hold us all accountable for not only the evil we do, but the evil we devise. He will hold us all accountable But the good news that we are to announce is there is one who can forgive us and one whom we can find forgiveness. And then we are to back it up with a life that lives transformed to that reality. We are to be different than everyone else. You see, Zechariah now understood the mission of the child. It was a message to proclaim, to warn, to to announce God's graciousness. And that is to be our message as well. If people are going to have peace on earth and goodwill towards men, it is only through Jesus Christ. It is only through him. There is no philosophy. There is no goodwill work. There is no peace corps. It's all foolishness. There might be good that happens through us, but they will never accomplish peace on earth and goodwill towards man. The only true peace, the only true goodwill towards man can happen through Jesus And that was what John realized as he grew up under his dad. His dad got the lesson and he understood it. And you can be sure that dad made sure his boy got the the message. Because his son went on to go and announce it. To prepare a way for the Lord and to give hope to mankind. Many years ago, there was a man riding on a junk. which Which is a Chinese boat. He was not Chinese, but he was dressed in Asian attire. And he, and he sat on that boat. He was talking to a Chinese man. And this Chinese man had heard about Jesus. And this man, also known as Hudson, told him 
that you need Jesus in your heart. You need to be forgiven. But this Chinese man said, I need more time to think on these things. Well, Hudson said, well, when we get to the city, as their boat was approaching the harbor, it is that we'll we'll take more time and I'll talk to you. And hopefully you will understand why you need Jesus. And the man said, okay. Well, Hudson went down into his boat to get his boxes ready to to move them out as they were coming into port. But as they were getting close, all of a sudden he heard a splash. And his friend who was with them said, the man that you were talking with fell into the water. Hudson screamed out, stop the boat, stop the boat. And the boat was stopped. And Hudson looked in where the man went in and he dove in because many people at that time, many Chinese could not even swim. And Hudson, having grown up in England, knew how to swim. He jumped in, but the water was murky. He couldn't see where the man was at. But when he came up for air, he saw a fishing boat nearby. And he said, please, come nearby. Lower your nets. Help me to find this man. And as he came to the surface, you need to capture this thought. He said, I must find him because he was not ready to believe in Jesus. Hudson frantically searched about and he saw this fishing boat and he said, I need your net. Come scoop down in here with your net and you can bring this man up to the surface. The fisherman replied, it's not convenient. We don't have time to do this right now. Hudson said, what do you mean it's not convenient? This man is dying. They replied back, we're busy fishing. We'll lose a lot of time. Well, Hudson could only think of the only motive that might produce the action he wanted. So he said, I'll give you money. They said back, how much money? He said, I'll give you $5, which in that day and age was many days worth of much salary as they would earn as fishermen. They replied back, we want $20. Hudson said, I don't have $20. All I have is $14, but I will give you all that I have. Now, please lower your nets. Find this man. Well, finally, they let down their nets. And however, sadly to say, when they pulled the man up and Hudson tried to resuscitate him, the man was long since dead. Hudson sternly looked at those fishermen and said, I will pay you what I promise, but if you would have came when I asked, this man would not have died. This man would have had had the opportunity to believe in Christ because he was not yet ready to believe. Hudson sat down, the story is told, and he sat down with his clothes dripping wet, frustrated over the events that had happened, and frustrated over a soul who had been lost. And he asked himself, why did not these men come? They were too busy. They didn't believe that this man might be saved. Hudson thought, and then he thought even some more, and he said, you know, how many Christians think that, or are like that? They're too busy. Or they don't believe that what they have to say might change someone's soul, might change someone's heart. And so they remain silent or they give excuse that they're too busy. Brothers and sisters, as we look at Zechariah's life, he probably wasn't guilty of busyness, but he was guilty of unbelief. And whatever we're going through during this time of Christmas, when we're around family, 
who tells us they don't believe in Jesus, or we see co-workers that are celebrating all the wrong things for this Christmas season, it is our job, it is our privilege to announce to them the birth, the message of our, the Lord Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with them, to tell them the good news, to not give in to busyness with all the cares and poundings. We've got to buy this present or we've got to have this party right or we've got to have all these things just right. No, what would be better is that we communicate the message of Jesus, that we live out the message of Jesus, and we announce the forgiveness that is in Jesus. You see, Zechariah's song is a song of redemption. It's a song of reminding all of us that person who made that mistake has now gotten it right. And he could not help but tell all those who are around We're told in Scripture, all those who are in the hill country of Judea, that the Christ child was coming, that his son, John, would announce his way. That should be true of us. And please notice what happened. All those, for many days after we're told in Scripture, continue to talk about, continue to think about those things. It is my prayer that whatever your role in life may be, whatever spectrum of influence that God has given to you, that you would faithfully communicate this gospel message to them during the Christmas season and throughout every season and leave the results to God. Trust Him with Him and expect Him to work and God will move. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Zechariah and all of us, if we know You, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, have at some point in time messed up We've not done what you told us to do. But Lord, because of your forgiveness, because of what Jesus did, we can be forgiven. And not only can we be forgiven, we can repent, we can change our ways through the power of your Spirit working in us. I would ask and I would pray, Lord, that you would help each of us. Lord, if there is a spirit of unbelief, that we would be quick to confess it and we would put into practice a spirit of faith. Perhaps it might be family members who we have announced the gospel message to time and time again. But this year we're sort of weary of it. We're tired of it. Oh, Lord, spurn us on to continue to communicate that gospel message, trusting, Lord, in you and your character and leaving the results with you, expecting that you will do work and being faithful because you are faithful to us. Now, Lord, as we prepare this Lord's table, may you... O great Spirit of God, inspect each of our hearts. Help us to flee from presumptuous sins. And Lord, that you would produce a fresh righteousness in all of us. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.